Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Frog Snacks Podcast. It is episode 200. It is I, Snacks. With me, as always, is my loyal co-host, Frog. Um, What up? Today, as you know, is our final episode. Um, We are going to uh, spend a little bit of time, you know, kind of doing a a retrospective and, and talking about you know, uh, the good old days and stuff like that. But, uh, we are not overly sentimental people and we know that that would make for a, uh, you know, a little bit of like a navel gazy kind of episode. So we do have some real game stuff to talk about. We're gonna, um, we're gonna spend, we're gonna spend some time talking about real game stuff. Um, and then we'll, uh, and then we'll spend we'll spend a little bit of time uh, kind of closing it out in a you know giving giving it a uh, putting it to putting it to bed um, respectfully I think. Mm-hmm. We're, we're gonna tuck the podcast in. Yep, we're gonna t- permanent <laughs> tuck it in permanently. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So um, uh, let's get started. I think there's a lot we want to cover uh, this episode, and, and a lot we want to want to say. Um, you know, a lot we want to uh, you know do some eulogizing to later on. So. Um, let's kick it off really quick with just some, with just some news, right? Uh, some mm-hmm. gaming, some gaming news. Uh, we got, um, some scant few details about the next generation of gaming, which I think is, uh, timely considering we did our, our, you know, uh, you know, next gen of console like prediction episode just a few weeks ago. Um, we got some some details about the PS5. Um, we know that it is going to be backwards compatible with the PlayStation 4 and that it is going to have an SSD, and that's pretty much it. Um, people were excited to hear about the load times, but a lot of people were saying, you know, that's all great, but people have been putting SSDs in their rigs for like five years, so whatever. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, but it's still cool that they're, you know, trying to, you know, beef up the machine for the next gen. That's fine. Um, the cost of SSDs has also gone down significantly. So, you know, that's fine. I'm okay with this. Um, and then we got our, uh, well, this isn't like a next gen Xbox kind of thing, but they did announce that they are going to be coming out with a version of the Xbox one S, uh, S is in Sierra that is diskless. Um, it's basically just, a, a terabyte machine, um, that comes with a few games pre-installed. It's only $250, which I think is a pretty good deal. Um, this is a kind of like end run kind of like, you know, sweep up, uh, console version. Uh, but I think that this speaks to what Microsoft is going to try to do with any future boxes that they may come out with. Um, they're going, I think, full in with, uh, Xbox live and Xbox game pass and, you know, uh, the, the, the physical disc. I mean, I think this console generation, I ended up with like maybe three or four total discs, which is a gigantic drop off from the previous generation. Um, and I think that that's pretty typical for, for people who, who own a console, and some people said that they thought that that was like bad and they wouldn't get it because it doesn't have a disk drive. I think that that's ridiculous. Um, I, I think that that's kind of like, uh, 
this is nowhere near like Apple getting rid of the headphone jack. You know what I mean? Like this is actually yeah. like we're actually at I think an appropriate time for them to at least be selling an optional console that is slightly cheaper that doesn't have a disc drive. Agreed. Um, it, it really is basically it, it basically is the beginning of the of the new era. You know, mm-hmm. it, it's very much time uh, for such a thing to exist. Some people said that, in fact, that they don't think it's cheap enough considering that it is an all-digital machine and it is the older S version, not the X. And yeah. I think there's probably something to that. You know, uh, it definitely could stand to be a little cheaper than it is. Yeah, I mean, but, people were saying people were saying 200 but, I mean, uh, I don't know. I, it's it's fine. Like, what, like, what's the difference? It'll probably drop in price pretty soon anyway i would imagine yeah if if it's anything like what so remember we said during our console prediction episode the idea may be that microsoft is going to try to go for like every end of the market Mm -hmm. with the next quote-unquote family of xbox devices so it may be the case that this gets a big price drop when um whatever Scarlet turns out to be is on the shelves. You know what I mean? So like the all digital streaming only Scarlet might be like 200. The Xbox one S is probably going to be like 100. And then all the hot shot, high spec new versions of Scarlet would, you know, start at higher prices than that. Yeah. So I, I, I'm strongly believe that's where we're headed. And I, to me, that's fine. Yeah, um, yeah, same. I, I think that this is just fine. Um, you know, so so I guess I wanted to bring that up just because it's it's relevant to a recent episode, and uh, that uh, the predictions that we made in that episode I think turned out to be mostly true. I mean, even though we we don't have uh, like that many details, it seems to be you know kind of on that trajectory of of being mostly true. But I don't think that we made any like really out of left field predictions uh in that episode anyway so this this seems no everything seems to be uh everything seems to be on on course you know i will also say that um in regards to sony right so and i said this to all of us in our group chat that i wasn't particularly i mean people are getting gassed by hearing what they said um from the thing first thing is that it's very early and this is sony trying to hype things up as much as possible right so it should be taken with a grain of salt to begin with. The other thing is that, as you said, they're, they're not really proposing anything that's new-new. They're proposing and bringing things that PC gamers have taken for granted forever to consoles. The only thing that would be kind of nice is that apparently they are talking about uh, using not just an SSD, but like the NVMe standard. I don't know if you're aware of it. No. The NVMe standard is... Um, so you know right now on your computer, if you are using an SSD, it's probably plugged into a SATA cable, right? Yeah. Uh, the NVMe standard is a hard drive. It's plugged straight into a PCI slot. So, oh, okay. I've seen I've seen I've seen PCIe SSDs like for sale. I just didn't know that that was the the codification. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So um, that's that's the thing. So it's a much higher throughput straight to the motherboard. And that's kind of what Sony is getting at, that there's going to be like a, a new standard of that coming out soon. Okay. Um, which is going to have very, very high 
uh, read-write speeds to the motherboard. So, in theory, like for PS4 games, it probably will eliminate load time, as they demonstrated when they, they booted up Spider-Man. Yeah. So I would say that people are probably going to stand to see some very nice performance boosts on their PS4 games they play, which, I mean, about time, right? It's what we should be getting. But I imagine, as always, that once actual PS5 natively designed games are out and running, so we're talking about stuff that's probably going to drop in the neighborhood of, like, 2022, um, then it will be pretty much business as usual, where there's going to be stuff that runs well, some stuff that's going to be questionable, and everything is going to be kind of like, okay, you know? Mm -hmm. So the whole idea that we're getting back to cartridge-era um, you know, loading. I'm I'm prepared to go on record and say I would cool jets on that one, but we shall see if uh time bears out that particular and final tea leaves a frog. That's fair. That's fair. I I, I think um, yeah. You know, just given just given the rate of uh, you know, the 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 strides of technology, uh, it, it never seems that. You know, consoles, no matter how powerful, have ever really been able to, you know, uh, like future-proof themselves in that way. Um, but I think that I think that at least they're, you know, with the backwards compatibility with PS4, you know, people can show up with like, you know, Monster Hunter World, right, and have it basically run the same way it's running on PC now. Right. Which is cool. That's true. Uh, That's true. That game will run really well on, at least from what we, what Sony is saying, at least, it would appear that Monster Hunter World would definitely be a game that gets a major boost from, uh, from being on, on PS5. So that would definitely be great. Yeah. So we'll see. I mean, to your point, consoles really can't future-proof themselves because they require... A, static hardware, and B, hardware that is got to be at some level compromised so that it can hit a reasonable price point to sell it at. Mm-hmm. Even with the fact that Sony's going to... We already know Sony's going to sell it at a loss. There's no way. But uh, there's, there's just no way you can put out a machine that is super high spec, like future-proof level high spec, without either the company taking a huge loss on every unit or it being crazy expensive like PS3 was when it first came out. So interesting times ahead, no matter which way you slice it. Yeah, for sure. For sure. So yeah, I just wanted to bring that up cause it's, uh, like relevant and everything, like I said. Um, but you had a couple things that you wanted to, um, knock off in your, on your little list here. Uh, so what do you got? What do you got for me, frog? All right. So we decided we want to have some micro topics today, so let's let's do a few. Yeah, let's, let's uh, rattle think, them off. Rapid fire. Let's go. Rapid fire. Just things I thought of as we were going through the week. So let's talk about this one. Capcom. Mm-hmm. I, I had it written down, Capcom, don't call it a comeback. <laughs> uh, I wanted to reflect for a minute on the Capcom turnaround over the last year and a half. Okay. Because... We think about the fact that pretty much, let's say, call it like 2013 onward, people were furious with Capcom. Everything they were putting out was, um, I don't know if I'd say panned, but 
there was some like root level of disagreement that people had with whatever they were putting out, right? Yeah, people weren't. And, and it, in addition to a few things that were straight up pan, like remember Umbrella, what was it, Umbrella Core? Like that apparently god awful Resident Evil shooter. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, you know, you, it was just like misfire after misfire after misfire until pretty much Resident Evil 7 came out. Yeah. Like, when RE7 came out, then they kind of went on a hot streak because it was like Resident Evil, and I forget what Monster Hunter World came before or after, but on in that same, like, era, you know, RE7, you had Monster Hunter World come out, um, then they did the Resident Evil 2 remake, and now they just put out uh, Devil May Cry 5, and all of those games have been rapturously applauded. Yeah. Well, RE7, I wouldn't say it was rapturously applauded, but it was applauded. Yeah, uh, RE7 was released in January 2017. Mm-hmm. Uh, and when did World come out? Didn't World come out in, like, January 2018? Damn, it's been so long already. Yeah, it probably was 18, because, yeah, we're in 19 now. My God. <laughs> yeah, January 2018. So yeah, it was it was a year earlier. But I do remember being honestly shocked. I mean, probably even talked about it on the podcast at the time. I was genuinely shocked that they came out with a Resident Evil Seven, given how much everybody hated Five and Six, and they came out with Resident Evil Seven, particularly Six. Yeah, and everybody was just like, "Oh, wait, this is actually amazing." Yeah, people were like, "Wait, they actually know what they're doing again? Wow." Yeah, and then two when the Resident Evil Two remake came out, it was like again the rapture. Like mm-hmm. people were complete. And normally I'd be like, yeah, but it's a remake. But even so, um, to be able to remakes are very very tricky because you have a game that people already have a uh, a certain opinion and affinity for, and you are attempting to translate that to both the existing audience and a new modern one. So you have to kind of strike the balance of bringing in new stuff that's interesting and, and is fit for the modern audience without sacrificing the soul of why people liked it in the first place. That's hard to do. Mm-hmm. Um, much less for a game that actually has like a reputation. So, and the fact that they essentially nailed it completely with uh, Resident Evil 2. And this is all me talking about what people have said, I have no dog in that particular fight. DMC5, I haven't played yet. I'm basically waiting until I do this year's computer upgrades before I dive into that. But um, again, same thing. From what we've heard, it's been nothing but rapturous applause. So that leaves me with kind of like two points I'm thinking about, right? So point one would be uh, the one last thing that they need to do, and this would be major, is to shore up the fighting game division, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, even there, they've made progress because SF5, as I'm sure you know, was released to such well-deserved, um, you know, shitstorm of complaints and butthurt, <laughs> which only went on for three years. Yeah. And it's just like now sort of, kind of, kind of subsided. Where people are like, the game's in a decent place now, like, we can kind of cool our jets a little bit. And uh, if they can come out with an SF6, or whatever the successor is, by the way, I didn't even mention Marvel Infinite, we won't even talk about that. But if they can come out with SF6, 
and, and pull a rabbit out of their hat with that game, I think the Capcom comeback is not a nice catchy name. The Capcom comeback. Yeah. The Capcom comeback would truly be complete. Uh, so that's point one. Mm-hmm. And point two is given that they will have orchestrated such a crazy comeback, I started thinking to myself, if you were like senior in Capcom, right? Wouldn't it be the time to start considering, hmm, maybe we do want to consider again, how do we kind of spread our wings a little bit? Because remember, they tried to do that back in like the late 360 era. You know, they opened up Western Studios and whatever, whatever. Mm -hmm. And then they closed them all. Yep. (laughs) Because it all went to shit. Uh, But I wonder if now that they kind of rediscovered their core, kind of refocused and, and, and short up what they do. Like Capcom is arguably the most versatile company in video games. Like they have in the last decade put out pretty much every genre. Yeah. And, and, and successfully to be, to boot, uh, other than the, the fighting game thing. Right. So, and even that is like in relative terms, yes. right? And you know they did just release that um, that like arcade stick, or they announced that they're going to release that arcade stick. That's oh, like, that kooky device. <laughs> yep, that's like it's ba- it's basically the um, it's basically the a, a two person arcade stick that's like a plug and play with a bunch of old Capcom games in it, and um, why I don't know. But at the very least, I think what they're trying to do is is trying to trying to like get as much positive PR as they can out of this like moment in the sun that they're having, where they're just like, "Oh yeah, you like all these games? Sick! Yo, we've been making games for a long time, probably since before you were born. Check all this out." And then maybe this is a way for them to say like, "Okay, we're doing a remake of a couple of these old games," because the 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 listing of games that was going, that was going to be released on this plug and play, a lot of them are obscure right and i remember thinking like why are they showing us these old games right and people like like people kind of just want to play like alpha 2 and stuff right don't they but i i think they might be doing this um as a way to kind of jog people's memories for some more remakes could be, I mean, but this is not really the way to do it because talking about like a two, and this is why the reaction to this, at least from the FTC, has been pretty negative yeah, overall. Because there's not, the, there's no good versions of old Street Fighter in it. Yeah, they pick the the game list is very weird, and you're talking about like a two hundred dollar plus stick that's yep. a giant Capcom logo of all things. <laughs> uh, it's it's really really weird. Yeah, and, uh, and the, they, the they, idea. Of having like an arcade stick that has stuff built, like a game emulation built into it, is actually not a bad idea at all, because that would basically mean you you can kill two birds with one stone, have a bunch of classic games loaded to your stick, and you plug in. Most TVs have USB ports now, right? Mm-hmm. So the, the the stick is both the Chromecast type device and your input to that you know thing, right? Um, you're ready to go. That'd be great, but execution here, I think, is not good. Yeah, it's uh, clunky and strange, but I think that I still think that this is probably something that they're going to do. And don't forget, 
Um, oh wait, never mind. That's not a Capcom game. But I'm, I, I do think that that this is something that's not out of the realm of possibility. I guess is what I'm trying to say. Oh yeah, no, not at all. I mean, they could definitely be juicing the wheels for whatever is next for their fighting game division. Mm-hmm. Though I was thinking more along the lines of if I was Capcom right now, right? Assuming that they have a good plan for whatever their next Street Fighter game is, and likely for whatever the next Marvel game is, now that now that the Disney Fox deal is closed, good chance that they're probably in conversation with Disney to um, do a proper new Marvel game without licensing fiascos, because the rumor at least was, and it's probably pretty plausible, is that Marvel Studios did not want to let all the characters that people wanted into Marvel Infinite because they didn't own uh, the movie rights and they wanted to continue putting pressure on Fox. Mm-hmm. Who knows if that's true? I'm pretty sure it's true. Uh, we will largely find out whenever they decide to do another Marvel game. But all oh, that's besides the point. Assuming that they have a good plan for their next set of fighting games, right? Yeah. I would, if I was at senior Capcom leadership, be like, yo, what if we found a way to dip our toes into the FPS market? That's literally the only genre, well, that and straight-up racing games, anyway, that I can think of that they have not touched in, like, the last decade or so. And that if they did a good enough job, they could, like, really knock some heads around. Like, what do you think of that idea? I mean, it would have to be, like, you know, it it, it would really have to be... Uh, a very Capcom FPS in, in that, like, I wouldn't really expect anything other than like a twitchy arena shooter. Um, maybe something with with powers, a la Overwatch, but not objective based. Um, something a little bit more along the lines of a UT. But I I th- I, I think that if if Capcom if that's if that's something that happens and Capcom actually does it. It would have to be. It would have to have Capcom like written all over it, essentially. I think that's true. I mean, if the other thing I do, if I were Capcom right now, I would hire out instead of trying to start my own Western studio. I would hire out somebody to do it. Yeah. Um, you could hire either a Japanese studio that you trust to try and do it, or just hire out. Um, Somebody else. I mean, you can't hire a Dice. Then again, who knows? Maybe, maybe they could do like a EA collaboration and hire out Dice to do some shit. Or you know, for God's sake, hire a Gearbox or something wild like that. You know what I mean? Yeah, and I could, like, I could even see like, I could even see Gearbox uh, like kind of meshing with Capcom's like, uh, you know, like like goofishness. And like sense of humor and you know color palette, right? Um, right. I, I can see that meshing a lot more than like any other uh, like ultra serious Western developer. Yeah, they, I, the point I'm kind of making is that I think there is room in that market for them to do something interesting that could pick up users. Mm-hmm. And if they did that, it would be really impressive because. Capcom historically, again, has been an extremely versatile company. Um, when they're on fire, they have their fingers literally in every gaming pot. You know, that's why I always say that they're 
that they're the equivalent of the dude that comes through the barbershop trying to sell you bootleg DVDs. <laughs> oh, yeah, fam, I got something for you. Oh, you like action movies? Yeah, yeah, I got that right here. Oh, you don't like action movies? Don't, no, 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 don't worry, don't worry. I got that romance right over here just for you. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> and all of it's like, yeah, I got version one, sell that for two ninety nine. Oh, yeah, if you want version two, though, you know, I got that for another four ninety nine. But that's that's neither here nor there. Yeah. Uh, so that's Capcom. Uh, so let me go to the next one real quick. Uh, in consideration of the fact that, as I mentioned in passing last week, uh, I became a filthy mobile gamer. I started playing uh, two Square Enix mobile games. Right. One of them being uh, Dissidia Final Fantasy Opera Omnia. Which is another batshit square game. Yep. But it's, uh, that name's actually catchy. And I also played, even more surprisingly, to everybody in our group, including myself, Kingdom Hearts Union Cross. Yep. Also a batshit name, but one that's actually catchy and kind of captures what that game does. And both of these games are, to my surprise, are really good. Um... Dissidia is essentially a turn... They took the Dissidia formula, without going too into that, they took like the formula, the unique formula of its battle system and, a, and turned it into a turn-based RPG. And it really works. Uh, more to the point, I think they've done... Aside from the PSP games, right? I think they've done a really... The best job here of nailing that, I guess, all of... Final Fantasy is in this game because they pull characters from literally everything. Like, there's Final Fantasy Type Zero characters in this game. Ooh. Everybody's in here. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, um, Dissidia, I know you're a fan of Dissidia, um, but to me, that's always been the most, uh, like, the most appealing aspect is the, is all of the, all of the Final Fantasy characters across all of the different games in one place uh, given the same, like, update in terms of art style. Right. And I think that if, for the people that didn't like Dissidia's very kooky action battle system, I think the mobile game is honestly even better because it's a straight turn-based game. Uh, like I said, it uses some of the same mechanics, but it does a really good job of applying it to the turn-based context which, you know, all the old school people wanted in the first place. Uh, where's my turn-based game? I don't like this action shit. So you have that, which is really fun. And Kingdom Hearts Union Cross, similarly, I was even more surprised because, again, it takes the not-good battle system in Kingdom Hearts and translate it into a pretty interesting turn-based style uh, that uses, like, a metal system to you know, manage character abilities and stats, mm-hmm. uh, which I find to be pretty interesting. And that game has, like, a lot of stuff going on. Like, this full multiplayer, this PvE, this PvP, this raid bosses. I was like, what the hell? Like, there's a lot going on. And both of them are basically like, yeah, pay if you want for, you know, stuff like in Kingdom Hearts, you can pay for, like, increased metal storage and stuff like that. But... Basically, they never uh, hard put the screws on you to cough up money. Yeah. 
So this all, it was a long way of me saying, uh, is the, the mobile game takeover may truly be even further along than I think you and I really anticipated. Sure. Because the fact that they now have uh, games like this that can appeal even to, like, you know, the quote-unquote enthusiast crowd means that we really are going for uh, a whole new era that I don't think we may even fully understand. So I wanted to know what you thought of that idea. Well, I mean, I I honestly don't have much, um, you know, uh, experience, at least not in the last, like, five or six years with mobile games. Although I did play, I did play that, um, the fire emblem game, like when it first came out and I got, I got bored of it very, very quickly. So I, I think that you are probably right, especially with, you know, Japanese games. Right. But I, I would like, I I mean, I, I guess I don't know what I want out of mobile games, right? Because we're at this point now where they're, you know, obviously they're incredibly popular and most, I think, you know, hardcore gaming enthusiasts such as myself are kind of in the same boat. They're like, oh yeah, uh, you know, I'm sure that there are good mobile games out there and yeah, they got the Final Fantasy and yeah, I like Final Fantasy. Yeah, I got the Fire Emblem and I like Fire Emblem. Um, but nothing is, you know, there, there seems to be something else that always supplants mobile as like mm-hmm. the thing that you should be playing instead, right? Like when Pokemon Go came out, I remember thinking like, okay, Pokemon Go is fine, right? But I like it's not for me, clearly, right? Like this is like there there are full Pokemon games that I could and do play. And Pokemon Go, but 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 what Pokemon Go did, and I guess I forgot to mention, yeah, I played I played Pokemon Go for a little bit. I also got bored of it very quickly, but it came out, I think, like, around this time a couple years ago, and I live in a very, like, walkable town, so I walk around a lot, and in the warm months, anyway, and so I spent that whole summer pretty much doing it, and it was like, okay, it was something that I could do while I was doing something else. When I'm in a place where normally people are like messing around on their phones, I'm usually doing something else. I am usually reading a book or trying to sleep or more increasingly lately playing switch. So it doesn't seem to fill any gaps in my overall gaming experience. I will say I use my phone as like a companion for a lot of games. You know, I'm, I'm looking stuff up, uh, you know, uh, back in the day, you know, you would need like kind of an on the go, like an on hand monster hunter database. Uh, but in world it's, it's built into the game essentially. So you don't really need it. Um, I think, uh, yeah, so, so I think what mobile would have to do is, is have to, you know, is, is for a, uh, an extant franchise that I'm already a big fan of to say, okay, um, you know, this next game is going to be on mobile and, and it is going to be uh, more, if not just as important as any console PC or Switch version, but especially Switch version. Like, if there's a Switch version of this, like, it's either not going to exist or you need to also play the mobile if you want 
like the full experience. And so far, I don't think that I've been compelled to, to, I don't know if that one, I don't know if that really exists other than the, the kingdom hearts ones, but that's only if you're like really getting deep into the, into the, you know, extended canon of kingdom hearts. Uh, so like with that exception, I, I really don't see, you know, any, any like strong pull towards, uh, towards any, any mobile title. So and that could be what? that could be me being ignorant, you know. But that's kind of what I'm what I'm falling on right now. Well, I'm certainly not the expert. The only reason I should fill this in too. The only reason that I even start all this is, and this again, PAX, right? So two things happened at PAX. One, I saw the artwork for these games at the Square Enix booth, and I was like, you know what? They're pushing these so hard. I, I wonder if they really are you know, these kind of cheapo, whack experiences, or if it's something for real. <laughs> oh, I found out it was for real. Uh, the other thing is that I noticed a lot, like when I was hanging out in um, different lounges or whatever, that I did see people at PAX often playing games on their phone. That just like on some over-the-shoulder shit looked like like a lot of stuff was happening. Not, you know, like Farmville type thing. No disrespect there. But... Not not the kind of thing you would expect to see at PAX, right? You would expect to see something like that. Uh, so I, what I was seeing looked a lot more in-depth. So I was like, hmm, interesting. But it was, seemed to be confirmed from my play of Kingdom Hearts. Uh, so kind of two points to what you're saying. What was the first thing you mentioned about like filling gaps? Yeah, that is a big, important thing. Because for me... Uh, I do use the Kingdom Hearts game in particular to fill gaps because it is really well designed in that every mission takes literally like, if you turn the speed all the way up, some of these missions could take under a minute. So it's very well tuned for the mobile format. So I often use it like I told you I'm playing 14 now. Like if I'm waiting in the, the uh, duty finder queue, which can sometimes be like up to 20 minutes, then I'm just like, all right, well, cool, I'll just, you know, fire up Kingdom Hearts and, you know, knock some uh, 2D Heartless around for a while. <laughs> the the other thing is that, to your point about, like, what the future kind of would bring, you mentioned, and I want to zoom in on this, the idea of a game where you need to play the mobile and the console version to get the full experience. I have a feeling that's coming. Uh, and the game that I think it's going to be is Animal Crossing. Hmm. Because Animal Crossing Pocket Camp already, by most people's um, estimation, feels like that kind of extension of the core experience. Because you kind of go off this area while you're not at the real, real Animal Crossing. So I have a feeling that Nintendo's long-term play is going to be, all right, Animal Crossing Switch is going to drop. This is going to have all the crazy stuff in it. But, you know, while you're on the go... And you want to get a little fix in your town, or, or I should say, get some other stuff that you can send to your town. You hit up Pocket Camp, and that whole ecosystem feeds directly into the main game. So I have a feeling that stuff is definitely coming. Well, so I, if that does if I that does it. happen, I don't see I don't see why not. But yeah, I, I mean, I would have to be explicitly told. That get your ass to yeah you. yeah I, I, basically I would have to be explicitly told, um, and I would have to be 
a fan of the franchise because it, I, I'll, I'll, otherwise I'll just ignore it. I'll just I'll just flat out ignore it. Right. As I until recently, I would be right there with you. Uh, but playing these two games opened my eyes. So, oh man, people have actually started to do stuff with the platform that is not just you know random garbage. And I guess that makes sense because the same pressures that have uh, been roiling console PC games, right? It would make some amount of sense that they'd be roiling mobile too, albeit to a lesser extent because th- there's probably way more users that just don't give a crap, right? But um, I imagine what they found is that people are just so fickle that they have to try and, and actually constitute a, a fan base that cares. Mm-hmm. And you can't do that if you're using an exploitative model. That's, that's me spitballing, but I imagine that's why we suddenly see games that are using the kind of uh, free-to-play models that are more popular for the PC console crowd. Or it could simply be like a brand thing, like, okay, this is Kingdom Hearts. We can't afford to associate Kingdom Hearts, like our, one of our premier console brands that people take very seriously and love. We can't afford to pop, uh, associate that with some really garbage, low-quality mobile game. Because even, even if people assume, oh, it's a mobile game, it's not going to be good, for that to be true would hurt from a business perspective. So it could simply be that, too. Yeah. But point I was just simply ruminating is that, oh, man, uh, the mobile gaming takeover may, may be uh, further along than we think. Interesting. Interesting. You know, uh, I found out recently, um, as a side note, that the, 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 mm-hmm. word, the word ruminate um, comes from the same root as, like, the word uh, that, like, refers to animals that chew their cud really yeah and and i guess the idea is that like you know chewing your food and then like swallowing it and then like throwing it back up and then like chewing it again and just like this this whole like very long digestive process before it's like fully digested like gave rise to the idea of like thinking about something for a very long time and that's why they have the same root. And I thought that, that was really interesting. And I for, I totally forgot about it until you just said the word ruminate. That's pretty wild. Mm-hmm. Yep. Like that's actually wild to me. <laughs> uh, etymology is, is is a is an amazing uh, field of study. But no kidding. Um, but yeah, I, I think I, I think that if we if we get if we do get to that point where I'm basically being beat over the head. Uh, saying like this is the mobile game, play it. You have to. <laughs> then I will do it. And if Word. we're and if we're if we're going that fine. I'm not like disgusted by my phone. If if <laughs> you know if it comes to that, I'll I'll do it. You know gladly. Sure, sure, sure. Okay. Well, uh, so let's move to our next topic. So one of the things that's been in the news as of late, and we've talked a little bit about it is um, all of the, shall we say, drama involving Bioware. Mm. Uh, Jason Schreier did not one, but two bombshells uh, on the goings-on of Bioware as of late. Yes. And I don't want to go over the details of those right now. 
we don't have time for that. And people can just go read the articles, which they should. Give him the clicks. They're really good articles. He's doing really good work. Um, so is everybody could talk about for that matter. But all that, you know, in our in our minds, right? I wondered to myself, should EA at this point sell Bioware? What would that uh, what would that solve? Do you think do you think EA is here's okay. Oh I'm thinking I'm thinking not in terms of Bioware, I'm talking in terms of EA. Okay. Well, if you're Andrew House right now, right? Um sure. can you really argue that Bioware is not a net drain on your organization? Okay, so let's say let's say it is. Right? Mm-hmm. Let's say it is. Okay. Who cares? Mm-hmm. I think that the gist of the article was not that um, like Bioware is bad because of EA, like that, that Bioware is bad because of like, uh, like institutional misgivings and, and, you know, the lack of like fail safes and cohesions. Right. And some of that is because of the pressures EA put on Bioware, but I don't see the problem being fixed if, another tech giant, another tech like publishing game giant buys up Bioware. Like if EA says, okay, like, you know, goodbye. Uh, now we don't have to deal with all of your drama anymore. Then like, that's like, dude, that's like having a, that's like abusing your kid and then putting your kid up for adoption. Uh, when the kid starts to like, require therapy and stuff and you don't want to like pay for all the therapy. Like I don't see, (laughs) like, I don't see the, like the issues here are, the issues here are like, like, like ground up issues, not top down issues. Right. They're, they're they're kind of, it's kind of an Ouroboros, but like you, you've got, you've got like basically like general, uh, like labor issues here. Right. That's not going to be solved by the, by Bioware just being sold, especially if like, um, like, uh, like, uh, like Blizzard Activision buys them, right? Like the, the problems are just going to be the, exactly the same, right? Um, I don't see, uh, I mean, should they, should they sell Bioware? Like, uh, uh, I, yeah, I mean, I guess if you're just trying, if you're, if you're in some like crazy business vacuum, then like, sure. But I, I think that, the the points raised in the article go far beyond what EA is like capable or willing to solve, and and those problems are not going to go away if they just get sold. Well, exactly, which is why I'm saying like if you're EA, if you are a corporate EA, sure, if you're a corporate EA, you don't if you sell them, you don't have to care. That's exactly the point. Yeah. Um, so kind of what I was driving at is that I feel like this is not me trying to like completely shit on Bioware. It's more me saying, I really feel like given what EA is now, which is they're looking for, uh, they're looking for games that can give them the gift that keeps on giving. Right. Yeah. And that's pretty much sports and like multiplayer shooters. Yeah. That is not Bioware's claim to fame. No. And, 
to the extent that EA has had a negative influence insofar as, you know, reporting from people like Jason tell us, it's been because of that disconnect. You know, uh, the, the pressure to use an engine that is not uh, suited to the kind of games that they like to make. Right. Um, and, and asking them to kind of think about doing the kinds of games that are not really the kind of games that they're experts in making. So I would argue that uh, to the extent that EA has had influence on Bioware's problems, that's why. Um, because they're really forcing them away from what the studio has been founded to do, which is to make narrative-driven, interesting single-player games. So, to me, if I was EA, kind of like we were talking about with Capcom, right? What did they do? It was, in in one sense, a shitty yes, because people lost their jobs and da-da-da, but the reality of the situation is that, like, Capcom closed the studios in the West. Corporate-wise, that was a good decision. Because those studios were not doing what they needed to do for the organization, right? Right. And when they refocused everything in Japan, they were able to be like, okay, we can now put out the craziest games we've ever done. Uh, to me, I feel like EA should kind of like cut the BS and stop pretending like they're going to do anything more than these mercenary uh, style games that they like to do. And just do those. Yeah, I mean, fine. I mean, yeah, like from 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 like a strictly business perspective, I don't know why they bought uh, Bioware in the first place. Uh, that's actually a great question, too. You know, because if that's if if like, I mean, okay, so well, maybe, you know what? That was they, actually a different era. Because you remember now, that I think about it. That was back when like a uh, John. I'm going to butcher his name. Uh, Richard Tello mm-hmm. was in charge. And you remember, like, his whole thing was trying to be like, oh, we're going to be good EA. We're going to kind of have... They were basically trying to be Capcom. Like, they were trying to have their fingers in every pot and have people like them. Right. But I think the industry changed so much. And current leadership is like, well, listen, FIFA is bringing a billion dollars a year. Why would we not just keep doing that? Mm -hmm. Which, again, from a strict business standpoint, I mean, he has a point. So that's kind of where I was thinking with those whole things. But what were you gonna say? No, I was just I was just gonna say like even if that's the case now, like if if the if the nature of what they're trying to do and what the industry can provide for them has changed so much, then then yeah, like from a strictly business perspective, sell it. And you know who I think I would if I were EA. Do you know who I would sell it to? Uh, can you guess? Can you guess? The person who is offering the largest amount of money? Yeah, well, of course, yes, that. But who I'd probably shop it to, I should say. Uh, Square? Ooh, I didn't even think about that. Probably not. <laughs> well, I mean, I mean I, there's an argument that Square could buy and do something and, and help like clean up the problems. Uh-huh. And I mean, if they did that, that would actually be really interesting. Because Square is very weirdly, but successfully, like having, uh, you know, using the idol side to kind of have uh, the Western development or whatever. So if they were able to, like, bring Bioware in-house and kind of clean up the whole thing and and now make the claim to being, quote unquote, the kings of both 
uh, Japanese and Western RPGs. That would be pretty powerful to be able to do. I didn't even think about that. So that actually would be crazy. Yeah. If well, they were willing to commit to like working on all the problems. Okay. Well, what about what about Microsoft? Which would be interesting because it kind of be like circular in a sense because remember that the first Mass Effect was done exclusively for Microsoft. Right. And and I think um, like the KOTOR games too have always been like on Xbox and PC and they're Western and Microsoft's buying a bunch of studios anyway and they are going to need as many first party titles as they can for the next generation and uh, makes sense to me. Yeah, from a business perspective, yeah, I think Microsoft would definitely try and back up a truck of money to EA, especially because <laughs> there was there was a rumor for a while. Remember that there was a uh, that Microsoft was going to try to buy EA entirely. Yeah, which would have been wild. Um, but I actually, and those are both good. I didn't even think about those. But uh, I had in mind Ubisoft because Ubisoft does exactly the kind of games that. Bioware does. I mean, yeah. Okay, well, all right. Yes, but... Mm. I don't see Ubisoft being a better boss. Like, I can still see Ubisoft being like, okay, um, we need what you're doing, but but more of it. Right? Like, I can Mm -hmm. see them, I can see them like, I'll say I'll say this: uh, Ubisoft's getting has gotten better in the last mm-hmm. couple of years. Uh, better from like you know the the like annual Assassin's Creed days. Um, yeah, you know they're they're not afraid of like you know doing their own like uh, like in house indies like like grow up and grow home and. Um, you know, even even just like like one off like weird games that they support for a long time, like Steep. Um, you know, I can see them uh, now. I would say like in like 2019, 2020, I can see Ubisoft like treating Bioware okay, but I can still I still see it as them. You know, um, I can still see it going wrong. I mean, to be honest, I could see it going wrong with literally everybody we've mentioned, right? Yeah. Uh, including if we if we switch the side of the table for a second to go to the Bioware side of the table, like if you're Bioware, what do you think is best for the company? Like if you're Casey Hudson right now, there is an argument that they should try. I mean, I don't even know if it's even feasible to do so, but to try to buy their freedom from EA. But <laughs> at this point. I don't even think that would be worth it because their brand has been so tarnished as a studio. So as a, as a, trying to go independent would be a really, really risky business because you right now all you have is Anthem, which is <laughs> hardly worth, you know, uh, shouting from the rooftops. And then all the other crazy stuff you've done is owned by other So... Are you even in a position to deliver a great product? So I feel like, even from the perspective of Bioware, I think they need like a benefactor to come out of the hole. Um, my pre- when I was coming into this conversation, I, I, my opinion would be the best benefactor would have been Ubisoft, but you throwing Square in the mix—that is really interesting. 
actually even thought about again going back to this part of the conversation. I actually thought even Capcom for a minute. But again, that that I think would be dicey because given that we saw what we know Capcom can't do is manage the East West relationship business wise that well. Yeah. So I think they would probably struggle. Square I think is clearly can do a much better job of that. Uh, so they might be able to be like, okay, we can try and work with this and figure out what to do to get this back into a working formula. So I don't know. There's a lot of interesting things there, but I think the bottom line that I would come out of this entire thing saying is that I think that the EA Bioware relationship is one that does not, that no longer works for anybody involved. That's what I think. Yes, this is true. So I think that it would be in both parties' interest to like find a new home for Bioware. If the studio, sadly, we have to say, if that studio is even going to continue to exist, because that is very much an open question right now. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, um, I think that we can agree that a sale should probably happen. Yeah. Uh, that they're um, that they're going to need an owner. Um, yep. and that there are a couple of pretty interesting options. Yes. Okay. So I just got two more before we move to our final reflection. Mm-hmm. So here's the first one. First one is I've been thinking about, again, so I told you have been playing 14, and I told you last week, your first question to me, in fact, was how has it been, how's it been playing you know, publicly, right, as a solo player? And I told you that it was, like, surprisingly positive. Yeah. Uh, which remains so. Quick aside, they did the FF15 crossover quest started yesterday. Currently, the game is meme hell because literally every checkpoint for that quest is mobbed with people. To the point that when you walk up, you start hearing crowd chatter. Mm. And there are regalias everywhere. <laughs> it's regalia hell. Uh... But it's all so much fun. And it really got me thinking about something I'd explored before. And we may have even talked about during like our fixing online games episode. But I'm really thinking now, can subscriptions help stem the tide of toxicity? Oh, because man. I, yes. The answer is yes. But I don't, I don't see – I cannot – I cannot – see a game coming out now asking mm. for one. I just can't. But the answer, but the answer ha- is yes. The answer is yes, absolutely. As far as would it succeed, that's the problem. Because, uh, like, FF succeeds because it caters to a specific audience with a specific taste that's looking for a specific thing. Uh, I wonder if there is a room... First, the problem is, like, if you're new, like, let's say I think of something like Overwatch, right? Uh, Overwatch, I mean, maybe the Blizzard name would have helped people be like, whatever. I'm, if Overwatch had come out as a subscription game and not a $15 one, I, I would say, like, if I was making a subscription game, it would be like a 6 $7 subscription game, that kind of thing. Uh, if I was making a subscription game for that, would I have succeeded? Maybe, given the Blizzard name and given how well-received it was as just as a product when it first came out, 
But that's like the biggest problem. How do you get people to try something that requires them to pay monthly, even if it's a small amount of money? Like just the fact that people here monthly, that's automatically like, nah, I'm good. But then again, again, part of the problem right now is that everything is driving toward being free, right? But if everything's free, that means we have to make it up with all these microtransactions, which everybody hates also. So if you can get a, a smaller number of people to actually cough up up front and on a recurring basis, as opposed to, you know, maybe millions of people, 80% of which don't pay anything, is it really that big a loss? Do you know what I mean? So that's where, that's where my personal hesitation is. But I, I really wonder if, all this is to say I'm wondering these days if there's not going to wind up being more room for subscription-based content. Not necessarily MMOs, because MMOs in general are kind of like old school now. But um, we're all, since, now, since now everything, as we said, everything has MMO elements to it, right? Mm-hmm. So I wonder if there's going to be room to do, like, let's say, a new um, competitive shooter of some kind. And instead of saying pay $60 up front, or instead of straight being free, be like, yo, $5 a month. And then we're going to keep pumping content at you. It could it could work, but you you have to um like you would you would have to have it would have to be like a Blizzard situation, right? Where people already mm-hmm. trust you, and you would have to frame it that way from the beginning. Because if the right. announcement goes poorly for something like that, everyone's going to be like, "Ah, uh, subscription, nah." And you right. have to you have to come out and say you have to be as explicit as you can. Like this is so that we will never ask you for money ever again. Yeah, and that's the other, that's really where I'm driving at, right? Right. And if, but you if, have if, to say that you have to you have to say that you can't you can't be like look at we're coming out with this new game. Here's look at all this shit. It's gonna look awesome. It's gonna have all this stuff. Sick. Hell yeah. And then be like, oh, also like, yo, it's five dollars a month. Because then everyone's gonna be yeah. like, everyone's gonna be like, no, nah, no, no. You have to say we're coming out with a game that is a, that that is subscription based, and here's why we're doing it this way. It's so that you're not playing with a bunch of thirteen year olds who are gonna call the the n word, and so that we don't have to ask you for money ever again. Yep. Period. That's it. Like, Period. like we think that this will work. We know that you trust us. We're asking you to try this out. Uh, we think it can really, really work. And that's how you need to. That's how you need to address it. You have to be as you have to be as upfront as possible. Because if you just if you just sneak in at the at the end, like, oh yeah, it's going to be five dollars a month. Everyone's going to rail you. <laughs> You're right, though. That's exactly what I'm thinking. Um, and I think you framed it properly, that you have to be upfront and you'd have to say, we're doing this so we never have to ask you for money again. That definitely, I think, would be a powerful argument. Yeah. No, I, don't, no, I don't know how far it gets you in your checkbook, but it's a powerful argument. Yeah. 
you know, no, no, you know, DLC or, or loot boxes or, or like, um, you know, in-game currency that can be bought or anything like that. Like we can do away with all that stuff if you just all pay us $5 a month. And if you do that, then we don't have to worry about all of the other pitfalls of online gaming, especially for free games. Also, the game isn't like a $60 box game. It's just the subscription. Like it's just the subscription. And this is how we envision it working. Please trust us. <laughs> right. Yeah, I, I really think that something like that could work. Yeah, but yeah, I think that the um, it would have to be a, uh, a big studio, as you said, like a Blizzard would have to try that first. Hell, Overwatch may even be, even its current form, may even be that uh, candidate. Um, who knows? But mm-hmm. But Overwatch has other issues, which we needn't get into here. I was going to do another one, but I'm actually eh, on that question. So okay. let's just move on to our <laughs> to our reflection here. Sure. Uh, this is episode 200. We are we are tucking this kid in. Really, that was a polite way of saying we're burying it. Uh, we're putting this puppy in the dirt <laughs> after what has it been like four years? Uh, yeah, it's it's been just over four years. Uh, we started in early 2015. Like, that's amazing. Mm-hmm. I think that's the first thing that we should talk about. The idea that we sat and brought this to folks, whoever out there who has been listening, um, largely uninterrupted. There was no super long gaps um, for the last four years. I think that's worth uh, some credit all, all on its own, right? Yeah, I don't think that we've ever taken more than one week off. Right, exactly. Uh, and it's always been for very good reasons. Yeah, you know, uh, like holidays or packs, essentially, are, are the mm-hmm. only times that we've ever, like, skipped a week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's been a pretty consistent project for us. And I think that has been... It's been good to do. Just like, general, as a, as a personal note, like, that's just been something that's been... Um, uh, a positive development in my life, I, I'll definitely say. Just the idea that we did something, started it, improved it as much we could over time, even if we are now choosing to put it to bed. Yeah, you know, um, I'll say this, that I pick up and drop a lot of hobbies. Like a right. lot, right? Like I feel like every year I discover a new thing and I'm like, I'm going to do this thing. And then I, I, maybe I do it for a couple of months and I dropped it. Video right. games are the only, not the only hobby, but one of very few hobbies that I have never dropped, right? I've been playing video games since before I can, I mean, just, just really my entire life. I, I mean, I, I have, I have like very, very, very early memories of me playing video games and They've continued, and I've played them my entire life. Um, so I think that just 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 being a, a gamer for this long is is kind of amazing, given my track record of hobbies. Right. Um, but also, you know, we we were ha- like I've said before on this podcast, but like we've been having conversations like this unrecorded 
for a very long time. And at some point I thought to myself, you know, I, I think a good way to, you know, channel the way that we feel about games and, and kind of like the changes in the industry and the changes in our own lives, um, might be to just like record these and at the very least have them structured and regular and, so we, we did it. And, and I think just, just doing that, just, just taking the conversations that we were already having, taking the games that we were already playing and structuring them, codifying them in some way and, and, you know, kept keeping a standing date for them to go down really helped refocus, you know, why I was playing games in the first place, what it is I loved about games um, this is also the same time where I finally, finally, finally got around to, um, you know, coming up with my, uh, with my annual list of games that I play every year. Um, I average about 25 games beaten a year and I, which is amazing. And I, for, I forget a large chunk of them. You know, I, 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 ne- I always meant to document and I never really did. And, uh, I was actually saying pretty recently, you know, we were actually just talking about Bioware, but I played Dragon Age Inquisition and in 2014, and I said, next year, I'm going to start writing down the games that I play somewhere. Um, this was also right around the same time that we started the podcast. And, and I think that this was kind of like a, um, you know, this, this was the, these, these projects kind of went hand in hand. And I think that while we're not going to have at least these like regularly scheduled recorded conversations anymore, I'm still going to, uh, you know, I, I certainly plan on continuing the the list, the annual list, uh, year in and year out. Um, I don't see myself not documenting it anymore. It just it it's just served me so well, and 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 like like I said, helping me refocus. Um, so yeah, I, I think that it's always supposed to have been an intellectual outlet and an intellectual exercise. And I think that it's, it's, uh, done that job, uh, wonderfully for me. Yeah. I I like what you said about how it kind of just, um, refocused and how do I put this? And, um, sharpened i guess our attention to things mm-hmm. because i do look back i look back pretty fondly on, on most episodes we've done uh but particularly things like episode 50 where we really did a deep dive into why we play games in the first place mm-hmm. you know so and as you said you were able to um deliver th- in part thanks to this project on your your longtime goal of doing the list and we both were able to deliver Harley Danks' project on making our long-awaited four into tabletop. That's one of the notes, by the way, I've made. I went back, for, for the benefit of listeners at home, I went back and listened to a number of our old episodes, just kind of reflecting in, in preparation for this. And that is one thing I noted about episode 50. Uh, we, we had been talking for a long time about getting serious about getting into tabletop. And I will say that we haven't like gone all the way in, certainly not to the depth of our video game knowledge by any stretch, but 
the fact that we attended something like PAX Unplugged um, and spent extensive time at PAX East, you know, just playing tabletop games with people and getting to really understand the appeal, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, that's something I'm definitely proud of. Um, yeah, yeah, for sure. And, and yeah, it'll never be, you know, to the extent of my relationship with video games, but I've definitely, um, taken some major strides in tabletop. I, I actually, um, you know, I own a few games myself. I, ones that I've tried out and ones that I like a lot. Um, and, uh, some are, some of them are fairly complicated, you know, um, I actually, um, I'm actually going to go to a, um, like a hobby shop, uh, next month. Cause they're going to be demoing a, like a miniature wargaming game that I'm, uh, that I'm interested in. Um, so, you know, it's, it's definitely there. Like we definitely, you know, moved in that direction, uh, to enough to the point where I at least, you know, know why it's a thing and, and can, you know, have a conversational knowledge about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah, that's probably the last frontier that I want to find out a little more about myself. I actually kind of want to see something like a Star Wars Legion. Yeah, well, that's what I'm, that's Uh, actually what I'm going to see. And if, and if, yep. And and if it actually, if it goes according to plan, uh, this, this, uh, this shop that's doing the demo is actually offering a pretty heavy discount up to 30% on the base game if you come and demo it. Uh, so that might be the day that I actually pick it up and, you know, like assemble all the miniatures and everything like that. And if, uh, you know, if this becomes a regular thing at, you know, a, a a local, this local game store, then I might have an army to bring to PAX Unplugged later this year, which is the plan. That's actually wild. We'll talk more about that later. Mm-hmm. But see, that's the kind of thing that we've been able to do, partly as a result of having these regular conversations. So at the very least, that's been really good. Uh, I'll also throw this in there as a sidebar. Episode one, uh, you noted your desire. You're like, I really got to get around to playing FF12. <laughs> and you did. <laughs> I certainly did. You certainly did. That's so uh, funny that I said that in episode one. You did. And uh, <laughs> you were worse for the experience, but you <laughs> did You did get around to do that. Uh, I am proud on the Final Fantasy side for dipping my toes in, well, this is more than toes. Like, I'm waist deep in 14 now. Like, it's, it's real. Yeah. Uh, but I'm proud of doing that because my goal has always been to kind of uh, I've very much been a jack-of-all-trades, master-of-none when it came to video games. So I've said to myself a while ago, well, if I'm going to be master-of-none, I might as well truly be a jack-of-all-trades. So as many genres that I can like have a working knowledge of as possible is kind of been my project. And I think I've done pretty well on that. The only genre I still have not made any overtures toward is RTS, so I can feel shout-out to Barry. Uh, I can feel him uh, looking at me with uh, a certain amount of displeasure already. Yeah. <laughs> but sooner sooner or later, I will sit down with him and he'll have to show me how to play StarCraft. That's, that's going to be hilarious. Oh, man. Uh, <laughs> that's going to be something. So, yeah. 
It is going to be something for sure. So I guess we should really just say that I guess we decided that now is the time to wrap it up. Well, partly because we've hit the 200 mark. It's as good a time as any, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but I guess we're, we really kind of are kind of clearing the deck for what could come next. This is not to say we have any imminent announcement or anything like that, but um, a lot has changed. You know, um, this is not any mushy. I'm married now and I have all these kids and it's nothing like that. It's just that uh, the game world has changed a lot. Uh, Our circumstances have changed creatively. I think it's fair to say that we've changed a bit. So I think it's time. It is it is appropriate to say. Let's take a, a fresh look at the possibilities of what stuff we can do and you know, possibly put some new stuff out there in, in the weeks and months ahead. I know I will say that I'm flirting with getting a little deeper into some video stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have been doing largely for our friends, but I have been doing these semi-regular Mega Man streams. Yep. Uh, I have, this weekend we completed Mega Man 5. So... I only have one game left in the NES sextology uh, before moving on to the far more dastardly modern games. So that's, I'm kind of sweating bullets. I'm basically the Jordan Peele meme. <laughs> but but I, either way, it's going to be a lot of fun. Um, and I have found just making these like mini events for our group fun. And we can kind of see how far we're willing to take stuff like that. Um, we're going to talk about doing more tabletop-esque stuff. Um, so there's, there's a lot of possibilities of other things we can do in the future that we might be able to put out to the world and, and would just be like this, uh, fun to do. I think that's another thing we should note, that at the end of the day, we, we can admit that we have not really found much of an audience project, but we kept going anyway because we personally enjoyed it, and as we just outlined, we personally got a lot out of doing it. Yeah, and I and I think that that was like there were definitely some some points where I was like, you know, nobody listens to this, and I don't care. Like it's you know, right. it's just it's just nice to have that structure and that focus, and to kind of like, even though we talk almost every day anyway, you know, for us to just be like, okay, we're we're gonna sit down and we're gonna have an out loud chat about what the hell's been going on in the last week. And, you know, before we start recording, you know, we were like, you know, even if nothing, even if nothing happened, we'll think of one tiny thing to bring up. And a lot of our episodes were just that one tiny thing that turned into an hour long conversations about whatever. And that has they're usually been, quite good. yeah, and they're usually pretty good. And that's been very, that's been fulfilling as well, because it's been like, you know, even if, even if there's no like Im- immediately apparent topic. Um, there's always an, an immediately apparent topic, you know, it might, right. just, it might just not dawn on us until, you know, 15 minutes into the episode and, right, so, right, right. and sometimes, you know, sometimes that's, that's good. And, and just, just forcing ourselves to get up and go right is, is kind of has been like the spark for a lot of our best discussions. And, and, you know, this is sort of like the, uh, like the exercise analogy, right? Like, 
everybody says like the hardest part of working out is, is going and doing it. Right. And once you're there, it's fine. Absolutely. Um, you know, I have, um, I've always been a runner, but like this year I'm, I'm like ramping it up. This isn't, this isn't, uh, a fleeting hobby, right. I've been running for like 10 years. So like, I, I know that this is something that I'm, that I'm going to be doing maybe not to this, uh, like energy level, but this is something that I'm going to be doing as a regular ish exercise for a long time. This year I was like, I'm going to, I'm going to really do, I'm going to sign up, sign up for a bunch of races and stuff like that. And I would say probably like a third of the time I do not want to go for a run, but, but I go out there and after the first mile or so I'm cruising and I'm happy I'm out there. And then I come back and I always feel good that I went out and did it. I never come back for For a run. I never come back for a run and say, Oh man, (laughs) <laughs> like, why did I exercise? That was dumb, right? I <laughs> that doesn't happen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you know, same thing with me. Yeah, exactly. So um, you know, I think that that's I think that that's a good analogy as to what like I was experiencing for a lot of the episodes where we truly didn't have any um, any any direction until we started recording. Yeah, I would say the same for myself. That you know. Sometimes it's like, uh, what? But once we really get going, that's how you know you're dealing with two people who actually are like engaged. Mm-hmm. You know? um, when you can really just go off the cuff and good things happen regardless. So that is also something I'm proud of. I also want to make mention of the fact that I am happy that we're going to have these, this kind of a time capsule of this pretty important period, I would say. You know, we captured a good chunk of our 20s as gamers and a little bit life-wise through the course of the 200 episodes we have done of this podcast, including major events like entry into PC gaming, first foray into tabletop, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and even just stuff like that I can use as, I mean, people, uh, I'm sure I've said this before, but like, you know, people are really good at, um, like connecting random things to like life events. Like you can, like you can listen to an album that you haven't listened to in a long time and remember exactly like where you were and what you were doing when you first discovered that album, right. Or when the album first dropped. And I think that I can, I I think I I can do that with, with video games, right? Like I can think of, Dragon Age Inquisition and know like, okay, late 2014, this is where I was living. This is who I was living with. This is what my job situation was or wasn't. And I can say like, okay, like I can do the same thing with this podcast now, except it's documented better. So I know that like, even though I didn't talk about a lot of personal stuff, uh, on the podcast much, I, I know that like, oh, when we first started recording, I had just moved into a new apartment. I had recently started a new job. Um, I was living in uh, a different place, a place that I wasn't used to. Right. I, I moved, I moved, uh, I moved to Mordor. Right. Um, <laughs> right. You know, moved, moved to the wrong side of the Hudson and right. I was, um, you know, and it was a transitional time in my life, but it was, it was all good, good transitions. And we started the podcast and, you know, I moved, uh, again at some point during the podcast too. And, um, you know, the games that we talked about, 
the, 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 especially the ones that were contemporary, right? The contemporary games that we talked about, I can know now I, I have like actual concrete, uh, evidence of like where I was and what I was doing when I was playing them because we, we talked about it and we recorded it. And, you know, now I'm like, you know, looking forward to all the cool stuff that I, I have going on now. Like I'm, I'm going to try and get into like miniature wargaming. I'm moving my, uh, my, my, my rig into the living room so it can live with all my consoles and everything. I'll have like a whole big like media center right in the dead center of my apartment. I'm really excited for that. Um, one, I'll have more room in the bedroom for uh, miniature painting and, and two, I'll have all my video games <laughs> in one place. So that'll be cool. And I can do all that and not bother anybody if they're still sleeping or whatever. Um, you know, so, so yeah, you know, there's a lot to, there's a lot to look forward to. And, um, yeah, this will be a good, this will be a good, um, uh, good, like physical life bookmark. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Uh, we can also mention the fact that it, it even with, we talked about contemporary stuff, but we also did a lot of trips down memory lane. Mm, oh yeah. So I'm glad we were able to capture stuff that happened well before this podcast, uh, in a lot of great episodes, another milestone episode I'll mention episode a hundred. Another episode I'm very proud of. Um, shout out to Prague for being on that with us. Yeah. Where we talked a lot about memories and a lot about, you know, gaming and friendship and, and why all this stuff. It was another take on why games matter to us. And I think that if people want a very clear take on why this matters to let's say, like, the PAX crowd. Like, if somebody went to something like a PAX and comes out at, like, okay, so why does this matter to all these nerds? First of all, PAX in itself is probably a good first primer on why. Yeah, I was about to say, like, if you go, if you spend the entire time at PAX and still don't get it, then, like, you're never going to get it, (laughs) you know? This is also true. But I would also say I feel comfortable that if somebody was going to say to me, like, why is this a thing? Like, why do... Why do... If somebody comes up like why my my significant other spends outrageous amounts of time doing you know things related to video games like why mm-hmm. I would point them to episodes fifty and hundred in particular because I think those I, I have yet to hear somebody lay out as explicitly as we did why this is an important hobby and and why it has been worthy of our time and continues to be worthy of our time. So for that, I would also say, for any of the people who uh, have doubts about crushing enemies or doubt, who have insecurities about this being worthy of time, no, you're right. Everybody else is wrong. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I um, yeah, I, 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 it can be it can be tough to articulate, but at least we've had the practice in in articulating why. I think that I've always been a I like to think that I've always been like a fairly okay, uh, public speaker and, and orator and, you know, fairly articulate, but it takes practice and having, you know, weekly live practice, practice sessions, talking about something you're passionate about, um, I think sharpened those skills for me. For sure. For me as well. We have to learn to really, um, put our point out in as succinct a way as possible and in as explicit a way as possible 
especially if it's something that we want other people to do. Yeah. So the last thing I will say is I also want to just give a shout out to uh, various friends of ours who have guested on the show over the course of the last few years. Mm -hmm. We mentioned Prague did great two episodes with us. We got Dingus on this show somehow. <laughs> we had Uncle Paul's guests on the show. You know, we did have our, our good buddy Donald on the show before. We had Barry on the show before. Yeah. I'm pretty sure that's everybody. I, um, I deeply apologize if I miss anybody. We had Big Zeke on one episode, I believe. Oh, yeah, we did have Shot him too. We had him on episode. So pretty much everybody in, like, our immediate, immediate circle... Uh, we had... And, and Irvis was on an episode once. Yes, I actually did listen to when Irvis was on here, so shout out to Irvis as well. Yep. You know, shout out to everybody, regardless of where you mentioned or not, everybody who took the time to come and hang out and, um, you know, and record an episode now in the history books. Yep. Uh, something we can all look back on fondly, but, uh, and, and really thank you to anybody Though we never heard from anybody, I'm sure people have listened to us. So anybody out there that hears this or has taken the time to listen to an episode, um, thank you so much because this has just been our experiment, our, uh, as you said, our weekly session to kind of catch up and hopefully some people got something out of it uh, or at least were entertained for an hour uh, listening to us blabber on about whatever the fuck. Yeah. So thanks to everybody listening everybody that encouraged us to keep going, everybody that participated in this in some way with us, uh, obviously to you snacks for doing this with me and for being the, the reason we did it in the first place, you know, <laughs> don't mention it. credit where credit's due. So, um, yeah, really just thank you to everybody involved. Yeah. Um, uh, ditto for ditto for all of the above. Um, I, I I do want to let everybody know that we um, you know even though Frog said we don't have anything planned in the immediate future, we're we're still uh, we're still talking to each other pretty much every day, and we're uh, you know we have certainly not closed the door on anything going on in the future. So you know I, I would say that in the meantime uh, we're not we're not dead, and we're not stopping being friends so there's there's still going to be some you know engagement with with the the outside world um we're still going to be on twitter um you know follow us there and, and everything like that and you know any announcements for anything in the future will probably be there um you know there's still plenty of uh you know shit to be talked about uh <laughs> and twitter is the place to do that so that's where we're going to do it uh follow us there at Frog Snacks. Uh, check us out on Instagram at Frog Snacks Podcast. I'm always posting con pictures and stuff there. Um, you know, we've still got our website up. I think it'll redirect to the anchor page, uh, frogsnacks.net, and our episodes will still be up on on any um, on any platform that you you get podcasts. So you know, even though um, there won't be any any new ones uh, for now, I think um, you know they'll all still be there. So you can always go back and listen to old ones or. Or uh, if you're just discovering this now, uh, cool, awesome, thanks, they're all still there. So uh, we're still out there, we're still talking, things are still happening, and we're still paying attention. And thank you, everybody. Uh, we won't see you next week. Uh, this is my usual sign-off where uh, you know, I'll, say, uh, I'll see everybody next week, but um, I, we won't. But, uh, <laughs> uh, I, I guess, I guess, I guess just thanks so much and, and game on. Game on. Peace out, everybody. Thanks a million. <laughs>